we here? Hello? All right. All right. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you guys back from, uh, from Thanksgiving. I'm great. Who said, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks. Um, but uh, it's great to see you guys out there online all over the world. Um, it's good to see you guys here. We are blessed to be able to, to be together today. I want to piggyback a little bit before I get started on what Pastor Gabe said. I am so thankful to the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, for speaking to people's hearts about giving last week when I asked. And as Pastor Gabe said, that is, that is far and away the worst thing that I ever do as the lead pastor of this church is do that outright ask. But there are times when we have to do that. Um, and when we do it, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you respond. It is not natural in the flesh to respond in a giving way like many, many of you did. And, and it, it took us past that immediate emergency point over the hump. But also, as she said, we don't have the luxury of stepping back and just saying, okay, we're done now. That'll, that'll, we can coast to the rest of the year. It is important for the people of God to engage and, and use their gifts, use their talents, use the things that God has given them to help further the mission of his church. This isn't my church or Gabe's church. This is his church. And you guys have been faithful to that. And I am thankful to you. I'm thankful to the Holy Spirit that he is alive and working among us and, and that we have people who are faithful. And so I want to thank you for that. So um, I don't want to belabor that point, but it's been amazing. Been amazing. If you want to hear more about it, come to the membership meeting uh, tomorrow, the new members meeting uh, Tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow. Um, and, and we'd love to do that. But be sure that you sign up if you're coming so that we can, we can feed you. Um, I think quite possibly Gabe didn't mention the time of the new members meeting when it starts at 6.30. It goes 6.30 to 8. Um, anyway, it's all online. You can see that. Also, if you have a Bible, get it because we have a lot of scripture today. If you don't, on that table in the back, I mentioned once before, we have Bibles for you back there. If you forgot yours or just want to borrow one or if you need one, please go back there and take it. Church is, church is a great place to bring your Bible. So, especially this church, and in my humble opinion, we go through a lot of Scripture. We are in, can you even believe it, this is the 55th week that we have been in the Gospel of Mark. And this is the last message in the Gospel of Mark. Now, I'm glad I didn't hear applause like, yay, I want to move on to something else. But, but my, my heart is that you've been blessed by this. My, I want so much. There, going through the Gospel of Mark, there have been so many individual takeaways. Each chapter, each section, each verse had something that could touch our heart and help us to live our lives. But we're at the end of it now. And I think the end of it really, it wraps up the entire book of Mark um, in such an amazing and just an elegant way that I'm, I'm excited to talk about this message here. Um, and thank you to Pastor Gabe for her message last week. Um, I think she did an amazing job. I, I don't know about who here is still trying to process what their two-ton boulder is that they're trying to move. I know I am. I know that spoke to my heart. Um, and it made me think about a lot of things. And that's really what the Word of God should do. 
It should speak to your heart and make you think and then engage with the Holy Spirit on like, maybe I don't see it, but Lord, I know you know what it is. And so help me to see what those things are. That's what a good message should do. I think Pastor Gabe's message last week was, was amazing. I might be slightly biased, but I don't think I'm alone. But the idea of how these, this group of women um, and the two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus were rewarded immediately for their faith. They had no idea how they were going to move the boulder. They had no idea what was going on. Uh, they just knew they had to be there. They just knew they had to be there to honor Jesus. And they were immediately rewarded with that faith. So, again, it's been 55 weeks here. So now that we're at the end of the Gospel of Mark, what do we do? What do we do with this? Do we just go, okay, check, I've been through Mark, or do we go and live it? Go live it. Good idea. That's the answer I was hoping for, by the way. We go and live it. In fact, um, in the new members meeting tomorrow night, we'll talk about this, but, but many of you know that... Um, the guiding scripture for Discover Community Church from day one, the scripture that the Lord gave me and said, this is the one that I want your church to stand on is James 1, 21 to 25. I'll read it to you in case you're not familiar with it. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But... Prove yourself doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. Okay. My iPad has frozen. This is, this is super fun. There we go. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Picture a Sunday morning. When you're in here and we're all full of conviction and then we walk out those doors and life attacks you again. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. And I want to add on, if you are blessed then those around you will be blessed and then your community will be blessed and then this country will be blessed. It will go on in ways that we can never understand. So if it's that important, so important to live out that we have made it our official mission here at Discover Community Church, let's go do it. You can be dismissed. Let's go, let's go do that. <laughs> easy, right? Sounds easy. Sure, we can go do that. It's not that easy. But assuming that we've heard the word, we've heard it taught, We've received it into our hearts as Scripture tells us, what are we supposed to do? What do we do now? If it was that easy, everyone would be doing it. But wait, there's one more section in Mark that we haven't gone through. So we're on the final, session, final message, but there's another section. Maybe that will give us a clue. Who thinks that will give us a clue on what direction we're supposed to go? Since I've got the notes and I know where we're going, yeah, that's a little giveaway. It's going to help us with some direction. So this week, we're going to learn how to apply what we have learned in the Gospel of Mark. So we're in Mark 16, 14 to 20. That's where we are right now. It's called, the heading over it is the Disciples Commissioned. Anybody here 
aware that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? We can look at all the teaching in, in the word and say, oh, the disciples did this, the disciples did that. You're disciples of Jesus Christ. If he is your Lord and Savior, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, and we are supposed to be following the example. So let's look at it. This is called the Disciples Commissioned. Gabe ended on verse 14, but I'm going to include it here too because it's, it's a perfect transition into what we're talking about. Mark 16, verse 14. Later, he appeared to the 11 disciples themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reprimanded them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen from the dead. Quick note on this, Judas, it says the 11, Judas isn't with them anymore at this point. Judas had left the fold and had killed himself in grief, actually sometime before or during the trial. Matthew 27, 3 to 5 talks about that. I just want to read it really quickly so you see what happened with Judas. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? You shall see it for yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and left, and he went away and hanged himself. That's what remorse can do to you. Remember, Judas was under control of Satan when he did the things that he was doing. Now we're to assume that Satan has released him and moved on to the next person, and Judas is realizing what he did, and the overwhelming remorse drove him to hang himself. But that aside... Why do you think Jesus was scolding them, reprimanded them, it says, for their hardness of heart? Why do you think that? When he appeared to the 11 as they were reclining at the table, he reprimanded themselves for their hardness of heart. According to Matthew now, let's look at the context here. According to Matthew, the disciples had left Jerusalem and headed back to Galilee. Okay, they headed back to that region. Matthew 28, 16 says, but the 11 disciples, remember no Judas, proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. There's no, there's no scripture or proof that tells us which mountain, but it's probably Mount Tabor uh, or Mount Hermon, most likely the, the area of the transfiguration where that happened. They would have known. When he said, go back to the mountain, they, they would have known what he was talking about. So that's where they are. And as Pastor Gabe taught last week, while the women were walking in this faith and expectancy of what was going to happen, what they found when they went to the tomb, the 11 continued to struggle to believe. Even after everything Jesus had told them, after everything they had saw, they still struggled to believe. Luke 24, 10 to 12, I'll read this part to you. Now these women were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. So what they witnessed, they went back and told the men. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe the women. After everything they had been taught, after everything Jesus said, after these women who had been traveling with them, these were just some strangers, they went back and tell them what they saw and they still thought, that's nonsense. After all that, that's why Jesus is reprimanding them. 
Nevertheless, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Gabe talked on this last week. And when he stopped and looked in, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away. His response to this, he went away to his home. Remember, he lives back in the Galilee, marveling at what had happened. Marveling? So like he didn't, he didn't go back and tell them, you know, you're right, anything. He just, he just marveled. He's like, what? This is incredible. But he still had a hard time grasping it. Now, while they traveled to the Galilee and waited as Jesus had instructed, he told them, go there and wait for me. So they did that. Picture two disciples from the road to Emmaus. Okay, the two who had seen Jesus, had their eyes open, knew that they were with him, broke bread with him, heard teaching from him. What an incredible time that must have been. And they come bursting into the room. Scripture doesn't say that, but that's, that's how I picture it. They come bursting into the room to tell what just happened. Luke 24, 33 says this, and they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, found the 11 gathered together and those who were with them. So they're speaking to them and they're just excited, telling them about everything that they saw. And in the middle of them telling them, yes, we saw him as we were walking down the road. We heard his teaching, we, we broke bread with him, we did all these things. <clears throat> and as they're speaking, Jesus appears among them. Can you imagine how you would feel? Because they're all sitting there going, I don't know. I mean, I know he taught us that, but, but where is he? We kind of expected something to happen after the resurrection. And the, the women say they saw him, but we didn't see him. And Peter saw an empty tomb, but that doesn't tell us everything we need to know. Um, What's happening? And then all of a sudden, here's Jesus standing among them. Where would your heart go? That would be tough. But now, right now, we have the single verse, in my opinion, that sums up the entirety of the gospel of Mark. I mean, the entirety of the gospel of Mark, everything that we have learned. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation." That tells, that tells me everything I need to know about how we're supposed to handle the gospel of Mark. But let's look at what some other um, gospels talk about. Luke 24, there's parallel accounts in, in Luke and, and Matthew that we're going to be talking about here. Luke 24, 45 to 48 says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, So it is written. This is after he's appeared to them. And they're looking right at him. And he said to them, so it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He's reminding them of like, remember I told you this. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Like You've seen all this and yet you still struggle with it. And then verse 49, which we have on screen here. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I'm sending the promise of my father. What's he talking about there? What promise of his father? That actually comes directly from Joel. Joel 2.28, Old Testament prophecy. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. That's the promise. Jesus says, I am sending the promise of my father 
upon you. Not to you, notice, upon you. It will happen to you. Matthew's gospel now has the most familiar wording that, that most of us have heard. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came up. Remember, this is all just different versions of the same interaction here. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what most of us have heard about this interaction that happened there, the commissioning of the disciples. But they all have a different focus, different things that, that spoke to them as they recorded what they saw in that, in that moment, in that day. Now, Mark continues, and he documents something here. He says something here that the other gospels don't. Mark 16, 16, the one who has believed, now these are the words of Jesus. This isn't Mark writing, this is, this is what he's documenting that Jesus said. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved but the one who has not believed will be condemned. That word believed, here's your Greek version for the day. Uh, Greek uh, lesson, that is. Believed is the Greek word pistuyo, pistuyo. And it's a verb. This is important to know. It's a verb. And it means to hear the gospel and act as if it were true and to act on the belief of this truth. That's the definition of that word. It's different than faith. This is a verb, and it's an action word. You will do this. So Jesus is saying, let's go back. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has not believed will be condemned. He's saying, the one who has heard what I've taught and has gone and done it will be saved. This isn't a literal salvation issue. We know what Paul says, the requirements for salvation. But he's talking about living it, living as Jesus commands. And the one who has heard what I taught and has gone and done it, that's what he's talking about here. And it's meant to underscore the importance of preaching the word to the whole world because that's what he's commissioning them to do. Go and share the gospel. Go and make disciples. But preaching the word is only a part of it. The best teaching, what's the best teaching? To lead by example, to go and do it, to watch someone else as they do it, and then to do it yourself as someone else watches. That's the best teaching. You can show them, you can teach them by words all the time, but if you're not living it, it's hard to see the power in that. All right, now, I'm going to go into two more verses here that are in the Gospel of Mark that have literally become a battleground for a group of people called cessationists. Okay? A sensation, a sensation, a cessation, meaning an end, to cease, right? A cessationist versus a continuationist. I don't expect you to remember all these things, but the idea here. A cessationist believes that the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit given to the disciples during this time to accomplish those things ended with the death of the last disciple. That's what a cessationist teaches. A continuationist believes 
that those things are alive and active today. They continue. They're a part of the church. They're a part of his body and a part of his people. So, then there's a subgroup, and I, I hate labels, so just know that as I talk through this. Then there's Calvinists versus charismatic, where Calvinists typically are cessationists, but we have five-point and four-point and three-point Calvinists who take the whole Calvinist doctrine and peel off pieces they don't like to get down to the two and three that they do. Um, And then there's Reformed Calvinists. (laughs) If I look at all these different terms and everything, I might consider myself to be a three-point Reformed Charismatic Calvinist. (laughs) Okay. Remember that. And when somebody asks you, what's your church teach? But let's hear what Jesus says on this, okay? Let's hear the actual words of Jesus Christ on this subject. Mark 16, 17. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. These signs will accompany those who have believed. Is there a time frame on that? Does it say, you here in this room... These signs will accompany you. It says, those who have believed. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. I have personally witnessed these things. Who here has? Casting out demons, speaking in tongues. If you haven't witnessed those things, you're missing out on some of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about that later. Then verse 18. Verse 18, full disclosure, we are not going to practice this in church today. <laughs> 16, 18, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Has anybody seen any of these things happen? Not the snakes, not the poison. I personally have laid hands at the Holy Spirit's direction on someone who was unable to walk, close to death, and had them rise and walk because the Holy Spirit told me, pray for that man right now. I've seen that. I've seen that power happen. Now, there's no scripture, there's no other records that talk about drinking poison, okay? So where does that come from? Paul, later on in Acts, we see where Paul is bitten by the serpent and he shakes it off, okay? Now, it, it says that it, was a, uh, that it was a viper. It was a, it was a poisonous snake, and he just shakes it off and to the amazement of those around him. So we know kind of that happened, but as far as drinking poison, there's no place in the Bible really that talks about that. So where does that go? Where's that? How are we supposed to reconcile that? First of all, don't go out and drink poison. I'm not telling you to, but... Let's take a look at this picture. There's a story. This is a painting um, about the 13th century. It's it's called St. John's Cup. This is one of those stories that's apocryphal, okay? And apocryphal means it's not in Scripture, but it is documented in history. But it may or may not be 100% accurate, so it doesn't become Scripture, okay? There are parts of it that maybe can't be verified, 
It's from a second century, so the second century apocryphal work. It's called the Acts of John, okay, is where we find this. Let me read you the text of what's going on right here. The pagan priest Aristodemus, perhaps the man on the far right, has offered to convert if John will drink a cup of poison and survive. To demonstrate the efficacy of the poison, the priest first administers it to two condemned prisoners. They die, but John drinks the poison without being harmed. Then Aristodemus, still doubting and despite his promise, challenges John to revive the two dead men. In the legend, John hands his tunic to Aristodemus and tells him to place it over the dead men with the words, the apostle of Christ sends me to you that you may rise up in the name of Christ. In the painting, it's a young servant that does this, but the, the effect is the same. The men arise and the priest converts. Again, not scripture is an ap- apocryphal account of what happened, but second century. It's not that far after after when this would have happened. And there are a lot of accounts that talk about this happening. But um, that's where we see, in case you're wondering where that whole drinking poison thing comes in, because that sounds kind of weird, right? So let's get back on track. Having commissioned the disciples, in this case, the 11 standing right there, Jesus ascends, Mark 16, 19. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Can you imagine the picture as he ascends right in front of them? So whereas before these things happened and it was an eyewitness, another eyewitness, and like, I don't know, did he, didn't he, maybe he just disappeared. What happened? The women are saying that they, that they were told by the angel, but did anybody really see it happen This, it happens right in front of them. So there is no more question, no more ambiguity. They witnessed him ascend. It was right in front of them. Now, the final verse in the Gospel of Mark, the entire 16 chapters of Mark, the final verse, Mark 16, 20, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Now, That phrase right there, worked with them, um, in the Greek, it's just one word, and it's sunergeo. And the definition of that is to cooperate with in order to work together. Okay, so they went out, and they worked together with the Lord. The Lord had ascended. It's the Holy Spirit we're talking about here. They went out, worked together with the Holy Spirit, to confirm the word of God with the signs that followed. That's what they're doing. So that's it for the scripture. Think about what that means to us. Think about what that means. It's it, Scripture all over teaches us to be a good person, to be kind, to be loving, to be compassionate, to be servants, to be humble. All these things that the word teaches us. Those things identify us and set us apart as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Those things should be the things that people look at you and they can say, there's something different about you. What's different? You can say, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. That sets you apart. That's your, that's your name badge. 
that says, this is who I am. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. But, but operating in the supernatural, signs, wonders, miracles, like healing and deliverance and tongues, this is what proves the truth of the power of God. That's what proves the truth. So it's one thing to meet somebody on the street and they go, man, you're a nice person. That whole, that whole Christian thing has really made you into a nice person. Why is that compelling for them? To become a follower of Jesus Christ with all of the associated trials and tribulations and hate and things that go along with that. It's the power It's the power of Jesus operating in the supernatural. The supernatural church is what draws people to say, I need that. I need that in my life. The world, who thinks the world is a circus right now? Who thinks our country is out of control? What about our state? Anybody here really proud to be from Colorado anymore? It's hard. It's hard. I remember going to Jerusalem almost 10 years ago, and somebody there, somebody in Jerusalem, they're like, where are you from? I'm from America. Where in America? Colorado. Oh, Rocky Mountain High. In Jerusalem, I'm like, seriously, I'm standing on the wall of the holy city having to explain about, you know, uh, But hear this, listen to this. All of those places, the world, this country, the state, and this church would be unrecognizable if everyone used their God-given gifts in the way that they were designed and given to us to be used. Do you believe me? Every one of us. That means when you leave this building, that's when church starts. Not right now. Because right now we're being equipped, we're learning, we're encouraging, we're gathering together, we're doing all these things, we're serving one another. But if it ends here and we get in our cars and go home and, and it's just life as usual until next Sunday, who are we drawing into us? Are we truly being disciples and following the commission of Jesus? If we leave the idea of the supernatural, if we leave the idea of who we are in Christ and the empowerment that we've been given through the Holy Spirit, if we leave it in here, what are we doing? 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says we're to use the gifts for the common good. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says we're to use the gifts for the edification of the church, not this building, the church, his church. Ephesians 4, 12, 13 says, for equipping of the saints and unity of the faith in Jesus. That is why we are given the gifts. And there's many, many more. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And we should all want to be more like Jesus. And if you are serious about being a disciple of Christ, not just having the name tag, but living it, doing it, we should all want to be like he was. We should all want to do what he did. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit deposited inside you. 
And along with that, you have access to all the gifts of the Spirit, but you have been given specific gifts that only you operate in. And if we all operated in those things, what a world we would live in. There's a handful that do routinely, and I bet most of us know who those people are because you just see it. You see the power. There's something different in the way they walk. So here's what we're going to do. That's it for the teaching, by the way. We're going to do something here. I'm going to read a list. As we go through the various scriptures, mostly by Paul, he talks about what spiritual gifts are. He talks about all the different gifts, and, and most people have tried to catalog them here and there, and there's gifts and sub-gifts and all kinds of things, but there's basically, essentially, the way I read it, about 18 named gifts in the Word of God. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go down this list. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're good. We got another three hours. <coughs> I'm going to go down this list of gifts, and I'm not going to go into an in-depth teaching of what the gifts are, but I'm just going to do a quick, little, a quick little explanation of what it is. I want you, and I want, I'm going to ask you, be bold in this. Don't just sit there and go, that'd be weird. Be bold. This is the body of Christ. We are a family here. We are a community of believers, disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we should be operating in the spirit. We should be operating in our gifts. And if you're embarrassed to stick your hand up and proclaim, yes, I've been given that. Yes, I want to operate in that. Yes, I do operate in that. If you're embarrassed to do it here, how are we going to do it out in the world? Are we? Probably not. This is the place where we can do that. Let's go through this list. And I just want you to throw up your hand. Let me add something to it. I'm gonna throw up your hand, but if you have something you want to say about it, maybe a way that you've, it's operated in your life or that you've used it, tell me that. Just say, I, I want to say something. And we've got a mic right here. We are this kind of church where I can hand around a microphone. It can not only be for you, but it can build up someone else. Okay, that's what stories like that do. So number one, the gift of administration, the ability to help a project reach its God-given goals through planning, organization, or supervision. Who here thinks they work in administration? Look at all the hands. This is awesome. Wave your hand or say, just say something out loud if you want to say something about that or maybe some way you've seen that in your life. Uh, here, Scott, let me give you that. This would be less awkward than me coming down every time. I saw you walking up there. Thank you. All right, number two, apostleship, which is a person sent to new places with authority to spread the gospel. Okay, mission trips are one thing. George. Okay, Mike. Your penny ministry, you go around, yeah, new places, right? Places you've never been, not being ashamed to share the gospel with people that way. Perfect. That's a hard one, by the way. That's a hard one to do. But if you've ever been on a mission trip with the idea that I'm going to go and share the gospel with somebody, you've operated in this at one time or another. Number three, discernment. The ability to recognize God's truth from false teaching from demonic sources. Anybody? Look at all this. 
Those of you up front, don't be afraid to look around. This is encouraging. Number four, evangelism. The ability to communicate the gospel to non-believers and to be used to facilitate conversations, or conversions, that is. Okay? It's awesome. This is what the body of Christ is. Someone within the body at this church should have all of these gifts, and we operate that way. Exhortation, number five, the ability to encourage, help, or support someone as they walk in their purpose from God. There's a lot of, a lot of exhorters here. Number six, faith. A great gift. Now, we all should have faith. But listen to this. A great gift of unshakable confidence in the promises of God that can help others and the church stand firm. Beautiful. That is beautiful. Number seven, giving a supernatural, supernatural willingness and pleasure to share God's provision with others. Many of you, we have such, such a generous church. Number eight, healing. The ability to be used by God to heal and restore others physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Raise them up all the way. Don't be shy. That's awesome. That's one of those, along with tongues and other things, people go like, I think I do. I kind of do. Church, we have, know this, as I go through the list, we all have access to all of these. The Holy Spirit can come upon you and say, you don't operate in the gift of healing every day, but you are now, and we have to be faithful to that. So we all have access to all of these, but some of us walk in that on a daily basis. Number nine, helps. The ability to find joy in selflessly assisting and supporting others without regard to reward. Look at all the servants we have. That's beautiful. Hospitality, an ability to serve others, especially strangers, and help them feel welcome and comfortable. Okay, why do we struggle on our greeting team then? But okay, I shouldn't. <coughs> I'm sorry, I got off track there for just a second. Way to make it negative, Pastor Bob. <laughs> All right. Number 11, knowledge. A person who finds joy in studying and analyzing the Bible to uncover deeper truths. Yes, wonderful. Number 12, leadership. The ability to guide and direct the body of Christ to achieve its God-given goals. Wonderful, wonderful. Number 13, mercy. Mercy. Great sensitivity and compassion for those who are suffering and the desire to help in practical ways. That's awesome. I hope you guys are encouraged by this. Number 14, prophecy. The ability to discern and speak a specific message from the Holy Spirit for an individual or a body. Okay. I see a row of people back there who ought to be like, hallelujah, and you're just like, Kind of, sort of, halfway. All right. All right. And if I don't get the definition spot on, you know what I'm talking about. Number 15, serving. The ability to see tasks and needs within the body of Christ and the desire to see them accomplished. Wow. Number 16, speaking in tongues. The ability to speak in a language other than your own that has not been learned. Okay. 
Beautiful. Teaching, number 17, the ability to teach the Bible and communicate it effectively for the spiritual growth of others. Pastor Gabe, I know you're waving your hand around in there. Wonderful. Number 18, wisdom. The ability to gather facts, data, and advice from various sources and discern answers to difficult questions. Okay. There are at least two or three and sometimes dozens of individuals here in this body, this body of Christ, called to this place, this church right now, who are operating in all of these gifts. There wasn't any place in there like, oh, nobody, nobody has mercy gift. We all have that. That's what the body of Christ is. And if you are called to be a part of this body, you are called here in part because you have a gift that this body needs to fill a hole, to plug a need, and to help us accomplish our mission, okay? But it can't stop here. This is a place to start. This is a place to practice. This is a place to learn what those are, to be encouraged in those things. But outside is where we exercise these gifts. Can you imagine if every one of us who raised our hand at various times for these various gifts walked out of here today and said, today, I'm going to walk in all of my God-given gifts, and I'm going to walk in them proudly and right up front and bold, and I'm not going to shrink back. I'm going to walk in those things. Can you imagine how we would, first of all, transform our community? Can you imagine the light that would come from this place, this body, if we all went out and walked in that? It's easier said than done. I get it. But first of all, this has to be a place where we can say, I have that. I walk in that. Let me tell you about that. You have questions about what that is? If you see somebody raise a hand and you're like, I'm not really sure what that whole tongues or prophecy or whatever is, look for somebody that raised a hand in that and go ask them when we're done. Tell me about that. So then, with these God-given gifts, with these things that we have been given through the Holy Spirit and that we have been empowered to operate in, the question that we're left with is how are you going to be intentional about growing yourself as a disciple of Jesus and about fulfilling the commission to go and make disciples. That's what the gospel of Mark is all about, church. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, yes, but what's the reason for it? To draw people to hear the message of Christ. That's what we're supposed to be, church. That's what we're supposed to be, and I know that we can all do it, but it's hard to go out in the world and be bold when you're going to get laughed at, you're going to get mocked, you're going to get beat down, you're going to get ignored, you're going to be the weird guy. If we are not willing to be persecuted in that way, that tiny little way, to make disciples for Christ, then I think our Christianity is, effect, is ineffective. People look at Christians and what they see is a bunch of hypocrites who talk about all these things that we should all be doing and we just don't go do it. The way to eliminate that is to hear the word, to hear it in your heart, to receive it into your heart, and then go live it. That's what the gospel of Mark is all about. I don't have any earth-shattering wrap-up here, but I want to pray that we all could hear this and that we would all be emboldened to not only in this building, 
but outside to operate in this that God has given us. He's gifted us with this. And if we go do it, we will transform this world. Amen. Pastor Gabe talked about the time and talent survey. Some of the gifts that we're giving are to support and encourage and build up the body here at this place. And so I want to give you an outlet for that. She talked about the time and talent survey that's out there on the, on the uh, table. All that is is just a way for us to see, because people come to us all the time. Hey, if you ever need help gardening, look me up. If you ever need help with electrical work, if you ever need help with plumbing, if you ever need help with practical things like that, and maybe it's even if, if you ever have somebody that just needs healing prayer, let me know. Put it on that survey. Fill that out because we can't possibly remember all this. But we want to build a database together, just a, just a book, nothing fancy, that when somebody says, I have this need, we have somebody that can exercise their gifts and fulfill that need. That's what the body should be. So grab that on the way out. You could grab it and fill it out and drop it in the offering box now, or you could grab it, fill it out, and bring it back next week. We start our Christmas series next week. It's going to be amazing. I already started Christmas music here today. Normally, when Christmas music starts too soon, I'm like, yeah, it's too soon. This was right today. It felt good. There are two things on that are not on the time and talent survey I want to call your attention to. Number one, security team. That was just an oversight. If you want to help and serve on our security team, keeping this body safe, watching out for those wolves among sheep, um, see, see either myself or you can just handwrite it. There's a place where you can handwrite. Please do that. The other thing, more immediate, is Christmas decorations. Who here likes to decorate for Christmas? Who here likes to go and decorate someone else's place for Christmas? <laughs> You're the ones I'm looking for. Um, we want to do some Christmas decorating here this week. Put that down. If you're willing to help out with that, put that down, okay? Put it uh, preferably today so that we can do. We're going to try and do that this coming week. We've got some more trees that we're going to try and put lights on. Um, we're going to put some trees up here. Various things that we want to do to decorate God's house for Christmas. So feel free to please put that down and we'll contact you. Um, church, that's it. I am so convicted that this church, among this body, we have the gifts. We have the maturity. We are, we are disciples of Christ who want to grow and who want to be that example to the world that draws people to Jesus. We want to be that. I know that we are, and I'm excited to see what this coming year is going to look like as we all press into those gifts and we all use them to build up, to encourage all the things that they're meant to do but most importantly, to draw people to the gospel of Jesus. That's what a disciple does, and I know that we will we'll be that. We're working towards that every day, and we're going to be that light on the hill. I know it. I know it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gospel of Mark written down thousands of years ago so that today we could read that and be encouraged so that today we could read it and see direction for our lives and know that we're not alone to accomplish these things. We have been empowered. We've been gifted and empowered to go carry out the instructions that you give us, all the things that we see Jesus doing. Your word promises that we will do even greater. 
So Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be bold, not only in this building, but everywhere we go to be disciples of Jesus, that they will know us, first of all, by our love, but then they will see the power through the supernatural working in us. Father, I pray that that becomes such a normal part of our lives that we can't go anywhere without seeing the supernatural happening around us. That is what will draw people to you in a time when the world seems out of control. Father, help us to do our part. Help us to spread the knowledge of who Jesus is. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. We're going to take communion now. If you've heard this message about living out discipleship in Jesus, if you've heard that and you say yes, then I invite you to take communion with us. Over here, Gabe and I will be over here serving wine, and we have bread over there. There's a self-serve station there that's got juice. If you don't want wine, we have that. And over here, I think Michael and Rhonda uh, will be serving over here. Same thing, we have the wine and bread. But let's do it as we do it, not just, okay, let's do it so that we can go home. Let's do that and say, by dipping this bread, by taking the body and the blood of Christ, I am saying what I just heard about walking out who I am as a disciple, using my God-given gifts to spread the knowledge of Christ, yes, I will do that. And that's between you and the Holy Spirit. That's not up to me. I can tell you what we're supposed to do. Only you can make that decision to be bold and do it. By taking communion, we are aligning ourselves and saying, yes, as a body, this is what we're gonna do. Amen? Thank you, guys.